the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is the word to stand on for life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Your word is sharper than any two-edged sword. And it cuts deep into my heart. The word to stand on for life is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel in San Antonio. A live call-in show here to help you answer your questions about the Bible and how to apply the Word to your daily life. For more information on Calvary Chapel, visit our website, calvarysa.com. Get your Bible questions ready and call in now to 210-340-9585. It's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. to the program, The Friday Show, which means happily we made it through another week. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas, and this is The Word to Stand On for Life, a program dedicated to taking your phone calls and answering your questions, Bible questions, questions about stuff going on in your life, whatever's on your heart. All you have to do is pick up the phone and dial 210-340-9585. If you're outside the local San Antonio area, you can call toll-free at 877-630-KSLR. That's 630-5757. You can email questions to us by emailing questions at... I'm sorry, questions at calvarysa.com. Or you can use our free Calvary Chapel of San Antonio mobile app. If you are driving in your car, the safest way to call is to use the free KSLR mobile app. Just hit the Call Now banner at the top of the screen. You'll be connected directly to our studio producer. Hey, tonight I'm going to be teaching uh, in the book of Colossians. We're in chapter 1. I'm going to backtrack a couple of verses from last week's study. Uh, just 9 through 14, I told the church I'm going very slowly through Colossians. I'm going to prove it again tonight. Um, but it's a great, great study. The book of Colossians is an unbelievable treasure, so I get to do that. And then for me, it will be a very personal study on uh, Sunday, we are completing uh, Acts chapter 20, uh, the Apostle Paul's farewell to the Ephesian elders. I told our church last week that chapter 20 in the book of Acts is, f- for better or for worse, it's what's formed my pastoral style. Uh, that's the foundation upon which Calvary Chapel of San Antonio was built. So that's this weekend. We have three services, uh, 8.30, 10.15, and 11.59, and we would love to see you uh, if you are in the area. Let's get to questions while we wait your phone calls. The first question uh, is from Anonymous. In fact, both these questions are anonymous, the first two. Uh, Pastor Ron, have you had the chance to see Life on the Planet, produced by Steven Spielberg and narrated by Morgan Freeman? Morgan has been going around the nation and talking about life being destroyed multiple times, beginning, get this, that's me, my ad, get this, beginning four billion with the B years ago. He says, Morgan Freeman says, he believes in God, but that the Bible has it wrong because of the evidence. Personally, I started watching the series. I couldn't make it through the first episode, although it is a nice theater documentary or theatrical documentary. Uh, the facts are so silly. What are your thoughts? Um, uh, Anonymous, I've not seen it. Um, I don't have a lot of the uh, premium channels and stuff that 
that uh, this stuff is on. Uh, I saw some some trailers for it, and it looked like it was beautifully produced. And I'm certain with Spielberg and Morgan Freeman, money's not an object. But but the one thing I would do, and and, and this is for every similar program, when everybody any whenever anybody begins trying to explain creation or trying to spin the age of the Earth using terms like hundreds of millions of years or billions of years ago, I immediately turn them off because they lose all credibility. So I think you were discerning. Uh, Our Bible says in the beginning, God, um, Morgan Freeman says, I believe in God, but it's a God of his own making. It's not the God of the Bible. Uh, It's a God that we can all recreate. And um, the evidence that he says is overwhelming. It is strangely absent in terms of any evidence that's been offered as any kind of proof. So it's just junk. It feeds into the um, uh, Big Bang evolutionary theories, anything and everything that we've been brainwashed by. Uh, and we Christians, Anonymous, we've got to stand firm on what we know is true. And it can't be both ways. I think this is what frustrates a lot of so-called Christians with me, they say, well, it can be both ways. God could have used evolution or God could have used the Big Bang. It cannot be both ways. If the earth is four billion years of age, if it started with the Big Bang or if there was uh, evolution, then Jesus is a liar. Lying is a sin. And Jesus can't atone for our sins. It's that simple. And, And so we've got to make a decision. Is in the beginning God true? Uh, the Apostle John goes uh, into more depth in his uh, gospel. Um, um, in the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. And the Word came in tabernacle. This is verse 14 in chapter 1, or dwelt among us. I mean, uh, he, he'll later go on, especially in First John. He says, this is the God that we've seen, we've touched, we've experienced. They saw these things. I can tell you, Steven Spielberg and Morgan Freeman didn't see anything. I can promise you that they didn't see anything. So I'm with you. Uh, I didn't watch it. I haven't seen it. And um, had I, the minute I heard four billion years old, I would have stopped completely. Let me say one other thing. It is sad to me. Um, There are people, um, uh, Christians. William Lane Craig is an example. He is a believer and he is truly a brilliant man. But he's outsmarted himself in acquiescing to all of the so-called evidence of the earth of the age, or, or the, the age of the earth, rather. And um, um, Christians are abandoning with the pressure that the world puts around them. Smart people get together. There's a lot of pressure to be the smartest guy in the room. And the reality is that they lose all credibility the minute we depart from the biblical narrative. It's just that straightforward. So I hope that helps you. Thank you very, very much for your question. Here is a question from, this one is also anonymous. Did the Apostle Paul write, or is he the author of the book of Romans? If so, why is Tertius mentioned in chapter 16, verse 22? Uh, yeah, the book of Romans is written by Paul. He identifies himself in the very first, ber- in the very first verse of the text, he also identifies himself uh, with the, the people that he saying goodbye to in the farewell chapters. So there is zero doubt at all that the Apostle Paul is the writer or the author of the book of Romans. Now, Tertius is exceptionally interesting. Uh, Tertius is a slave name. And when Tertius says, I wrote this with my own hand, this is Tertius's approval as the um, stenographer um, the, the, the transcriber, Paul, would dictate uh, the, the letters. And Tertius, this, this slave uh, who has been freed in, in the person of Jesus Christ, uh, Tertius was the one who wrote down or dictated what Paul dictated. He was the one who wrote down what Paul was dictating. So I love that. And the reason I love it so much, Anonymous, is because in throughout the Gospels, and you'll see it in the book of Romans on three different occasions, um, you'll see men like uh, Secundus uh, and Tertius and Cordus, all slave names in the ancient world. Most of the time, uh, slaves didn't merit even regular names. So they were just called one, two, three, or four. 
And in this case, um, uh, it demonstrates the power of the gospel to reach the the rich and the mighty and the powerful, uh, but also the lowest of the low. And and it's only through Jesus Christ that everybody is set on common ground. Everybody is set on common ground. That's the power of our Bible, and in this particular case, the book of Romans. So that's what Tertius's role was. He was the secretary or the stenographer uh, who um, wrote down what Paul dictated to him. Love that question. I, that, that kind of stuff is really interesting to me. Here's a question from Andrew. He says, why does God allow the devil into heaven? Andrew, I have no answer for that question. I wish I knew. If I was God, I wouldn't. But we need to remember, seriously, that the devil is called a servant of God. No, he's not for God. He is an enemy of God. But God is so powerful that he uses even his enemies to accomplish his will. And that means God has a reason. We know that that uh, the devil was allowed into the throne room um, when when Job was brought up. I always tell the Lord, you know, Lord, any conversation between you and the devil, just keep my name out of it. I don't even want to be mentioned in it. Well, uh, Job was the object of the conversation. We know that the Apostle Paul, um, a, a messenger from Satan, was permitted to buffet him. We know the devil is in the throne room of God, accusing the brethren day and night. It's his job, and he's really good at his job. Again, if I was the Lord, I would just hang a no solicitors sign, and I would never let him in. Uh, but God has a reason, and we can't even guess or begin to understand uh, why he would do such a thing. So uh, I wish I had an answer. I don't. Um, we will see the majesty, the wonder, and the glory that God gets because of it when we get to heaven. Three four zero ninety five eighty five. our... Our phones have been a little bit quieter this week than normal, so we'd love your input. Any questions or comments? Uh, Michael says, what commentaries and or commentators do you recommend? Um, Michael, there are so, so many. Um, I'll just name a few and I'm going to forget even more. Uh, I say often on this program that the commentator with the most impact in my life from the very beginning has been a man named F.F. F. Bruce, like Frank Frank. Um, um, I, I read everything that he wrote that I could get my hands on and was sorry that he didn't write more. I absolutely loved him. He is the general editor of the New International Commentary, commentary Series, which I think is by far the best commentary series that I've seen on the New Testament everywhere. And by the way, there is now a new international commentary series on the Old Testament. When I was saved and doing all of the studying, uh, I didn't have that. It wasn't uh, wasn't available yet. But F.F. F. Bruce is a general editor of that. And all of the um, uh, contributing editors, uh, those who actually did the commentaries in that series, are excellent. Gordon Fee, for example, did the commentary on First Corinthians. Um, his take on the gifts of the Spirit are wonderful. Uh, Michael Green was another of the commentators. There's just some really good stuff. Uh, in addition, I, I love, 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 love John R.W. Stott. Uh, it's S-T-O-T-T. Um, uh, his commentary on Romans. By the way, Bruce's commentary on Romans is, for me, the, the, the single greatest commentary that I've ever read. But Stott's commentaries are really, really good. John Stott also does some uh, books on, um, on topics or, or subjects that are really, really good. Uh, John Phillips uh, is eminently readable, and I love the observations. Um, G. Campbell Morgan um, an Englishman, uh, his commentary on First uh, John is spectacular, but all of his stuff is good. He has a commentary on the Gospel of John as well, and he has a commentary series. You can Google him and find out his stuff. He's excellent. 
Um, and this is going to sound weird because he he was a Calvinist, but um, but but uh, but really really good James Montgomery Boyce, who was a Presbyterian. Now he wasn't a Calvinist; he was Reformed in his theology. That's similar, but not the same as uh, James Montgomery Boyce. Now he's with the Lord, um, uh, but he was the the, um, the the rector of a church in Philadelphia, uh, and and um, uh, just had the gift of. Of writing, it was really, really good. Um, Martin Lloyd Jones, um, uh, his commentaries on Ephesians in particular, uh, and on the the work and, and person of the Holy Spirit are spectacular. Uh, I also like you can hear thunder and lightning in the background, so that's just coming through the walls. Um, be careful if you're driving out there. Um, uh, William H. Newell, N E W E L L. Um, Michael, I love him as well. One of the reasons I like him is is he was doing his commentaries well before 1948 when Israel uh, reoccupied or was allowed to go back into their homeland. And, and, and by and large, commentators said, well, Israel will never go back. Those are allegories. And they weren't. He took them as a word. Um, um, uh, H.A. Ironside is another of those old guys who's really, really good that way. He believed in the word of God. Um, I love John Walvoord, W-A-L-V-O-O-R-D. Uh, anything on eschatology. Uh, he's really, really good. And then when I mentioned not too long ago on the program, if you're going to study the parables of the Bible, I just don't think you can do it without Herbert Lockyer. Uh, he's really, really outstanding as well. So I hope that's a list that will get you started. And by the way, one of the really great benefits of, of reading any of those people, you can look in their bibliographies. Their their commentaries have, have solid bibliographies, and you can chase uh, their primary source material as well. And those would be also great commentaries to, to go into. So those are really, really good ones. Let me mention one other and this isn't so much as a commentary uh, as it is a history of, of the life and times of the Messiah. Alfred Edersheim, uh, E-D-E-R-S-H-E-I-M. Uh, it is um, um, public domain now. You can get it for free online. But I think you ought to get the book. And it's still available out there. Uh, and I don't think anybody should ever read or study the Gospels without Edersheim right there on the desk. It's it's not easy reading. He is um, really, 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 really smart. And you got to concentrate. But boy, the payoff is spectacular. So, Michael, I hope that gives you a head start. Good ones, I think. Here is an anonymous question. I think God is unfair. Now, let me just stop there and say you're wrong. If God is unfair, he's not God or he is evil. It's the only conclusion you can come to. I'll finish your question. I think God is unfair and doesn't really understand some of us who can't work due to social anxieties, depression, etc. He says if we don't work, we shouldn't eat. He said that's not loving. The first thing you have to understand, Anonymous, is that God is love. And when God tells you to go out and earn your money, he does it because he loves you. And we have to understand our perspective is skewed. Uh, there certainly are people that cannot work. There are people uh, who have physical maladies, people who, um, because of terrible things that have happened to them, can't work. They can't do it physically. But people that can work physically ought to work. And here's the thing. If you would give your life to Jesus Christ, the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit would come and enter in you. If you would would accept him, then you're going to find out that the Holy Spirit is infinitely more powerful than your social anxieties. If you accept Jesus Christ, depression, something that you'll be able to battle, joy of the Lord is my strength, in his presence is the fullness of joy. The problem with you now and your depression is that um, you don't have the, the source of joy living within you. So here's the thing. The Bible says a man, if he doesn't work, then he shouldn't eat. God is making you accountable for the choices that you make. 
And so the world that we live in gives you all kinds of excuses. I've had everything from PTSD, and and I'm talking about legitimate cases where people have combat injuries. And, and, you know, they get filled with the Holy Spirit. They go get a job. It's our responsibility as men. Rise, kill, and eat. That's, that's really where we have our, our identity. And if you're not working, if you're not providing, well, in that case, you're the one who's missing out. And God just wants better for you. You can decide, Anonymous, to stay in that state of depression. You can decide to surrender to your social anxieties. Or you can go to Jesus He said, come unto me, all you labor and are heavy laden, and you are. And he said, and I will give you rest. That's all you have to do. And he'll work it out. All you have to do is have enough faith to believe it based on who he really is. Thank you for the question. Hope it makes sense and doesn't make you any angrier than you already are. Oliver says, what is the best method for being more consistent in my faith? Well, Oliver, you might be a new listener, but I say all the time, just be with Jesus. That's the best method. If you're hanging out with Jesus, you're going to be in the middle of his will for your life, and you're going to want to do that which pleases him. You know, it's an amazing thing to me, Jesus, and we can't, you know, he received the spirit without measure because he didn't have a sin nature, Oliver, like you do and like I do. But Jesus said, I only do what pleases my Father. My food, he said, the, 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 my strength for living is what he meant, comes from being obedient to my Father, doing his will. And because that's the case, there's no room for anything other than consistency. So your best method is hanging out with Jesus. Now, obviously, we've got to do some work. We need to be... Uh, men of the Word of God, um, you, you've got to. If you if you're a believer, you've got to love God's Word. And God's Word is the instruction manual, uh, the Book of Colossians. Uh, I just said earlier at the beginning of the program today, um, it, it's it's an absolute treasure, and there's so much practical value in it. The Book of Colossians establishes the superiority of Jesus, and then the rest of it is how we benefit from that superiority. And so you've got to be a man or a woman who really and truly loves God's Word. One of the difficult things that we see in, in, in many, if not even most, Christian lives is we'll see people really high and on fire for the Lord one minute and really down the next minute. You know, they're, they're, there's no consistency in their walk. And I think one of the best ways to um, um, even out our walk is to study the life of the Apostle Paul. There's a great book I recommended in this program, I think on Wednesday, called um, um, Paul, the Heart of the Apostle Set Free. And it's almost like, it's by F.F. Bruce, it's it's almost like uh, you're you're in the book of Acts with him. And you're going to see that there were times when, when Paul was under attack, times when he thought he was going to die that very day. Um, times when uh, people were messing with his churches. In Second uh, Corinthians 12, he says, and besides all of those things, and that's the difficulties that he faced, I faced daily the pressure of the churches that he established. And, and, and so Paul's life was really hard, but it was just steady, persevering to the end, going step by step through whatever it is that God set before him, And that's how he was able to see God's hand move on his behalf over and over and over again. So, uh, Oliver, that's the best method. The Word, hang out with Jesus, uh, be a man of prayer. Talk to him, let him talk to you. Get involved in serving other people. Get your focus off you and on to others. Paul says, consider others. And literally translated, before we consider ourselves. It's okay to consider yourself. It's okay to let your needs be known. But before you do that, consider others better than you. In other words, they, 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 they need to take a place of priority in your life. And when you are focused on other people and serving the Lord and wanting to be a blessing to those other people, 
well, then your walk with the Lord is going to uh, even out, and that balance is wonderful. I was just sharing in our study last uh, Sunday, the Apostle Paul, uh, he sent Luke and all of the others ahead of him on a ship to a, a city called Assos, and uh, he told them, you go on the ship, I'm going to walk. And and he makes it sound like it was a, 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 a mild trip. It's 25 miles. But Paul knew he needed some alone time with the Lord. And he knew he needed it because he knew that the Holy Spirit was speaking to his heart about his trip to Jerusalem was going to end up with imprisonments and, and beatings and, and other hardships. And he wanted to be prepared for them. We know that when he went uh, to Philippi, he was thrown in jail, in the stocks, after having been beaten. And he and Silas responded by singing hymns to the Lord, and they were able to see the hand of God move in power. Well, that's the same thing, Oliver, that, that God wants for you and he wants for me. That much hasn't changed. We may not go to jail. We may not get beaten. But we need to be prepared for whatever's going to come tomorrow. Today's half over. I want to wake up tomorrow. I want to be prepared. So we seek him early in the morning. That's what Jesus did morning by morning. He, the Father, gives me an instructed tongue or a tongue of the learned. Jesus sought the Father first thing every day. Jesus was always in the will of the Father. So too should you and I be. Hey, we've got 30 minutes left in our week. 340-9585 or toll free. 877-630-KSLR. We'll be back in two minutes. To the word to stand on for life. We're taking your calls at 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. Now, here's Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome back to the second half, our final 30 minutes of the week. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh. 340-9585 for your live calls and questions. Can I ask a favor? Please pray for Paula. She's heading out uh, early in the morning. She is speaking at a women's conference in Bastrop. Pray for great traveling weather and pray that she has a, a blast, has fun with the message. Um, she's always a little nervous, doesn't need to be, but she is anyway. So please keep her in your prayers uh, for tomorrow. Missy, and this is a timely question based on what I just said to the last question. Missy says, why and how are we to consider others better than ourselves? That seems impossible, especially when people do really terrible things. Missy, the answer to your question is faith. That's the, the, the how. Um, God is simply asking us to prioritize others. Now, here's something that I, I plead with my church to do, and I don't think anybody's done it yet. I mean, I, this is consistently over the last couple of years. Uh, I've been saying, you know, we got these recording devices that we carry around and our noses are always in them. And I say, record your own prayers. Forget it's there, but put the recorder on. And after you pray for a little bit, keep going and then listen to your prayers. And you're going to be able to find out whether your prayer is all about you or whether it's about God or how much of your prayers, how much of your heart is for other people. So um, God simply says, I'll take care of you. I'm asking you to take care of others. And it takes faith. Believe me, it takes faith. Again, when you said when people do really terrible things, those are the people, Missy, that you need to pray for the most. Uh, I've got nobody on the line. The phone's been quiet, so let me tell you a quick story. Uh, before I got saved... Uh, in fact, this is the one thing that God really used uh, to bring me to faith uh, in, in Christ. Um, I, was a, I owned a car dealership. Uh, I was a partner in it. And the other partner, uh, who was about to lose it uh, before I, I bought in and, and, and saved the dealership. Uh, it's what I did before I got saved. 
um, uh, and and it, everything was going really, really great, and um, back on solid financial ground. The, the manufacturer loved us again, uh, and he he cheated me. Um, when when he didn't think he needed me anymore, he cheated me. I, my ego was such that I didn't protect myself as I should have, and I hated this man. I hated him. I felt like he stole my life from me and all of my dreams. I was embarrassed before Paula and my kids. He was a private pilot. He used to fly a Merlin prop jet. He's a great big guy, like 6'6", six, 6'7", six, uh, six, uh, 400 plus pounds. He used to fly a Merlin prop jet. And every time I'd, I'd read about a plane crashing, I, I would pray in this perverse way that unbelievers pray. I would pray that I wanted to be him. Hope he's dead. And um, um, I mean, my my life was spiraling out of control with hatred, even after I got saved. And so I'm saved, I guess, for about a year. And uh, I just hate this man. I'm still blaming all of my problems on him. And the Lord says to me, now this is as, as direct a quote as I can say, Ron, I want you to go ask him to forgive you. And I was so upset. Lord, what do you mean me forgive him? He stole from me. And the Lord spoke to my heart and he said, but you wanted him dead. You wanted to murder him. And by the way, I came close once. And I knew what I had to do, but I wrestled with it for two weeks. And finally, finally, after praying for him every day, through clenched teeth, but praying for him, I worked up enough nerve to go in and ask him to forgive me. He took it the wrong way. It was a horrible experience. But when I walked out of his office, I was free. I was free. And I kept praying for him. And I, a little bit of time goes by, and I actually wanted him to be saved. God will do that. So when they do really terrible things to you, those are the people you need the most because those are the ones that give you the opportunity to be the most like Jesus. So consider others. It doesn't say they are better than you. Considering them as an act of faith. God, this is what you want me to do. This is the key to to drawing near to you and being in your will. And understand what a privilege it is to be invited by God to walk with him in his will. And then your focus will change from you and the pain that you're suffering, Missy. And your focus will be on him and the people he loves. And when you can pray for your enemies, you'll never be more like Jesus than at that moment. And that's when the Holy Spirit will sort of announce that you've been set free. So that's the how, the why. It's just because he said so. Because while you hated him, he loved you. While you were an enemy, I love the old English word, the King James word, enmity with God. Christ died for you. And Missy, that's the why. And as Christians, we shouldn't need any other reason to do something other than God said. So, Missy, I hope that works. Victor says, does the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit all have the same will for us, or do they have different wills or plans for us? Victor, they have perfect unity. The Father is God, the Son is God, the Holy Spirit is God. They are one, three persons, but one in character, one in essence, one in nature. And they're, they're in perfect unity. You know, I always like to say when it was uh, decided, well, we know that Adam is going to blow it, so somebody has to become a man and die for the sins of the world. It wasn't like the Father, the Son, the Spirit all drew straws, and Jesus drew the short straw. This was the plan from the beginning, from before there was a beginning. And in that plan, there was complete harmony and unity And each of the triune God, each person, had their own role. And um, Victor, so they can't contradict one another. 
It's not like the the Holy Spirit calls you aside and says, well, I know Jesus wanted this for you, but I think this would be better. It doesn't work like that. Perfect unity, perfect will, perfect harmony. So I hope that answers your question, Victor. You can have complete confidence in that. Martin or Martine says in Matthew chapter 6, verses 14 and 15, does this mean I'm not saved if there are people that I can't forgive? This is really troubling to me. Um, Martin, I'm glad that it's troubling to you. It's supposed to be trouble. Now, remember, in Matthew chapter 6, this is a, a very Jewish message, and Jesus is elevating the standard for heaven. Remember, the Jews believed that by virtue of having the law, by being God's chosen people, they believed, individual Jews believed that they were saved. At least that would be the way we would characterize it. I don't think a Jew in Jesus' day would characterize it that way. But, but of course, they were going to heaven. And, and Jesus saying, no, if you want to go to heaven, the only way to do that is by believing in the one God sent. That's me. If you have the Son, you have the, if you have the, the Son, you have the Father. If you don't have the Son, you don't have the Father. And uh, I think what Jesus was doing by raising the standard is saying only in a relationship with me are these things possible. Now, when he says that uh, forgive others as we ourselves have been forgiven by God, that's really important. We're to pray that. And the reason we're to pray that is because we're, we're actually limiting God's ability to forgive us if we are unwilling to forgive others. Can you imagine there's somebody that you cannot forgive? Now, it's not that you cannot, it's that you will not forgive. And I understand um, the, 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 the nuance there. But imagine if you're saying, okay, Lord, please forgive my sins in exactly the same measure that I have forgiven this person who's done terrible things to me, their sins against me. And when you, when you consider it like that, you're saying, okay, don't really forgive me, Lord, because I won't forgive him. And I think what we have to do is recognize that Jesus, by virtue of pouring out his life for us, by giving us the Holy Spirit and, and giving us new grace every morning, I think what Jesus is asking us to do is to give to others undeserved favor. That's what grace is. Give to others what God has given to us. Jesus told a parable about this. The man who owed a fortune and the king came along and said, you know, I'm going to forgive it. He, he could never pay it. In a hundred lifetimes, he could never pay it. But the debt was canceled. And then he turned right around and went to somebody who owed him just a little bit, you know, like, like a few bucks. Give me that money or else. And the king heard about it. And the king came back and threw him back in prison. And the reason he didn't is because he didn't respond to the kindness that was given to him. And Martin, normally when things like this happen, it's because we think what they've done to us is far worse than anything we've done to God, when in reality the opposite is true. What I did to God before I got saved is infinitely worse than anything that anybody did to me. And I had some people, I just told a story at the last half of the program, um, I had some people do some really bad things to me, but I did much worse. Just what I did to Paula and to, to my sons, just what I did to her should have disqualified me from ever being in heaven. But God, in his love, his wisdom, he decided that he wanted me in heaven. And he chased me and got it. So if God can forgive me, who am I to withhold forgiveness? Now, two things. First, personally, there is not a person in this world that I hold unforgiveness toward. Now, there are people that needed to come to me and ask for forgiveness, and they haven't. That doesn't make me angry. I'm not frustrated because of it. But there's not a single person, no matter what they've done, that I hold unforgiveness to. That is a wonderfully freeing way to live, Martin. That's important. Secondly, all of the New Testament writers assume that a real Christian is going to forgive others. 
So how do you do it? Well, you do it by praying for them, by letting the Holy Spirit change your heart, letting God give you his heart for those people, and understanding, I said this on the program yesterday with Paul, that Romans 8.28 isn't just a Bible verse on a plaque. It's real. God works all things together for the good of those who love him and who are called according to his purpose. God, you left this man or you left this woman in my life and in spite of all the terrible things that he or she has done to me, you know I need them, so have your way in me, Lord. And that's what Jesus means. Martin, I'll close with this. I, I'm really glad, glad, glad that it's troubling you. You need to spend some time with the Lord and ask him to show you why you refuse to forgive. And it's going to boil down the one simple thing. You think what you did to God isn't that bad. And what people did to you, that's unfair. Grace is for the unfair circumstance. So please, 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 let what the Holy Spirit is doing in your heart result in you uh, turning to the Lord and just confess, Lord, I don't have it within me to do it, so if you want me to forgive them, you're going to have to do it for me. Good question. 340-9585 for your live calls and questions or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. Anonymous says, um, I have been told that sex is only for procreation and to enjoy sex is sin. What are your thoughts? Um, you need to get rid of that flush, all of that out of your brain. By the way, this coming Wednesday, um, I'm going to be doing Leviticus chapter 18, which is all and only about sexual immorality. Um, sex is a wonderful gift from God, Anonymous. Um, humans in particular, you know, you see animals who are procreating, uh, horses breeding. I used to own racehorses and stuff. And and you'd see them program, and, and it's just instinct. It's just urge. It's nothing but raw power. Only humans, only humans really enjoy the process. That's a gift that God has given to us. And it's a beautiful gift. So whoever told you that, I feel terribly for them. But I don't want it to impact you. Sex, God's way. One man, one woman married is beautiful. Get rid of all your old inhibitions. Let the Lord convince you. Uh, Anonymous, read the Song of Songs. Um, the, the sex act in, in a marriage is vividly, graphically, uh, but poetically. It won't offend you, uh, but it's, it's poetically um, uh, put forth. And it's just God saying, this is the gift that I've given you. So please, please, um, let the Spirit of God and the Word of God change any preconceived ideas that you have about sex. It is a beautiful gift from the Lord, uh, and it is not just for procreation. That's a great blessing, but the idea is God wants you to enjoy the marriage bed. Keep the marriage bed holy or undefiled. And I promise you, sex in a marriage is passionate, it's satisfying, and it's fulfilling. Thank you for the question, Anonymous. Uh, let's go to William on line one from San Antonio. William, thanks for calling. You're on the air. Hey, Pastor Ron. I am talking to the youth at my church tonight about Timothy 412 uh, on uh, them not being, uh, you know, too young to talk about the Word. And I was just wanting to get some good ideas from you. Okay. I love that. Thank you. And what what age group of the youth you're speaking to? Uh, all the way from 12 to 17 or so. Oh, bless your heart. You know, William, um, uh, not to bore you, but we just, we just came back from Joy of Jesus this past weekend. And you should have seen our kids out there sharing the Word. It it was wonderful. The older kids, the high school kids. Um, first and foremost, they have to be equipped to do it. 
There's going to be a confidence issue. And I'm trusting that you are teaching the Word of God. Uh, our our kids from the time they're in nursery are being taught uh, from the Bible, not uh, from curriculum, not little programs or cute things. They're being taught from the Bible. And uh, by the time our kids are in junior high school, they are going literally verse by verse through the scriptures, just like I am with the adults. Uh, and they need that confidence. You know, I, I mentioned in the first half of the program that I used to be a car dealer. And I would tell the people, the salesmen that were working for me, um, the only thing you know more about than your customer is the product that you're selling. So know this product inside out. That will give you credibility. Your kids need to know the Word of God. So really exhort them to get into the Word for themselves, not just at Bible study, uh, not just uh, during church, but to, to get in the Word for themselves. And then tell them, you can teach them to use their youth uh, as an advantage, um, you know, you and I might go to somebody and they could kind of be rude to us, but typically they won't do that with kids. So what they need to do is be active in sharing their faith. The Apostle Paul writing to Philemon, who was a pastor in the sixth verse of, uh, of Philemon, he says, I pray that you'll be active in sharing your faith so that you will have a full understanding of every good thing that we have in Christ. And challenge a kid. Say, you know what? If you're not sharing, you just don't get it. God has so much for you. So much for you. All you have to do is share. And let the Holy Spirit. And once these kids, and, and boy, we find this to be true, William, over and over and over. Once these kids start experiencing the power of the Holy Spirit coming upon them and through them, and once people start asking questions or, or God willing, receive Jesus Christ, your kids will get so excited. So challenge them to do that. And when you challenge them to do it, um, um, tell them, look, you can call me, you can text me, you've got questions. There are answers to every question that you're going to encounter. And so uh, in Timothy's case, of course, he wasn't a, a kid like that, but Paul was, was letting him know um, Timothy, you live your life for Jesus Christ and you go for it with all of your heart. So if you'll do that, they'll get excited about it. And uh, if you don't mind, William, if you call me back next week, I'd love to hear what their reaction is to the Bible study. God bless you and thank you for doing that. We've got an anonymous call on line two from San Antonio. Thanks for holding. You're on the air. Hi, Pastor Ron. Um I was wondering, how can I have faith in God's protection for me when I'm alone at night? Um, sometimes my husband travels. We're usually together all the time, but sometimes he's gone for two, three days a month, and then I really panic at night um, that there may be a home invasion or something like that. I'm just wondering, how can I get over that or know that God's going to protect me? Yeah, two things, Anonymous. First, if you could call and talk to Paula about this on Thursday. I would love to, to, to have her to have that conversation with you. Uh, when I was in Bible college, we lived in kind of a bad area, and Paula was alone. She was alone Monday through Friday. She'd come and get me on Friday, but she was alone, and, and God really dealt with her on this issue, and she had great confidence. The other thing you have to remember is that God loves you. And he's going to care for you. And worrying about things that haven't happened. You know, the things that could happen haven't happened. And what you want to do is focus on the presence of the Lord rather than the possibility that something bad might happen. Say, Lord, my husband has to travel. I'm alone, but I'm really not alone at all. I'm with you. And be in the word and, and just understand that God loves you. And he's the one who will care for you. Now, we don't want to be irresponsible. You're going to lock your doors. You're going to do those things. But you just have to focus. Jesus said, uh, be anxious for nothing. And you are demonstrating anxiety. God understands it. But what he wants you to do is give it to him. Give it to him. It's similar. You know, people have physical problems. They go to bed at night and they think, well, I'm afraid what might happen while I'm asleep. Uh, all we have to do is say, Lord, Tonight, I'm going to rest in you. Tonight, I'm going to trust in you. And Anonymous, uh, I promise you the Holy Spirit 
will show up for you in power. I'd love for you to call me back, too, and let me know how it's going. Let's go now to Greg from Bolverde, our friend on line three. Greg, thanks for calling. You're on the air. Hey, Pastor Ron. I'm glad you're on the radio. Just got a question here. I'm trying to be wise with my money and finances. Of course, it's just me right now. It's not like I'm, you know, taking money away from the kids growing up or anything. Everybody's already grown. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm looking at replacing the car that I have, and I've prayed, Lord, I did not need this newer car. It's a used car, but it's newer, less miles. And so I said, Lord, I don't need it. If it's not what you have me to do right now, please shut the door on it. You know, how do, how do we go on faith with a purchase like this? Yeah, Greg, unless, uh, unless you get a, a no, um, I think you, you get it and you enjoy it. Uh, I think the Lord is pleased that you would even ask the question. And, and it's not about uh, it, it's stewardship, but, but Lord, um, thank you for blessing me. Uh, unless you get a no directly, Greg, then, then do what makes sense to you. Let trust your heart is being led by the Lord to do this. I can promise you this. God doesn't want you in a car that might break down. Uh, if you can afford it, you're a good steward with your money, and I know you are. Um, then enjoy the fact that God wants to bless you with something nicer. That's perfectly acceptable and no problem at all. Greg, I wish I had more time to talk to you about it, but we are now done with our week. Thank you very much for calling. Hey, you've been listening to The Word to Stand Up for Life. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas. Have a great weekend serving the Lord. Remember, get up, go to church, offer your body as a living sacrifice, and see what God does. I'll see you next week. God bless. for spending this time with Calvary Chapel's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The Word to Stand On for Life is on every weekday afternoon at 4, and Pastor Ron invites you to find out more about Calvary Chapel at calvarysa.com. The Word to Stand On for Life was sponsored by Calvary Chapel of San Antonio. General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.